turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Are you ready to get down to business? Join seasoned entrepreneur, community leader, and Army veteran Scott Shalom Klein, who will take you behind the scenes with those who work in America's small business scene and speak with leaders making an impact, creating jobs, and telling their story in entrepreneurship. So let's get down to business. On AM560, The Answer, here's your host, Shalom Klein. And indeed, we are all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship and business. We talk a lot about business here. You're on with Get Down to Business. And I'm your host, Shalom Klein. Remember, you can always download podcasts on my website at sykline.com. While you're there, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at sykline. So I'm very excited for our conversation today. I'm thrilled to be joined by Henry Mitzberg, who has, uh, believe it or not, uh, been the author or co-author of 21 books. His latest book is Understanding Organizations. Finally, structuring in sevens. Before that, bedtime stories for managers. I love the titles. So props to you, Henry, for uh, for whomever is involved in that. Uh, he is quite the impressive individual. Uh, and and Henry, what I wanted to talk today is I know that we live in a world of organizations from the moment we wake up in the morning to check the weather on a radio station like AM560 or until we get to sleep at night after uploading a deposit to the bank. In between, we're transported by a subway, fed by a restaurant, work out in a gym. So, but do we really understand about those beasts? How do they work? When don't they work? And how do we make them any better? So, again, Henry, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Shalom. Um, they don't. They work fine a lot of the time, but we don't understand the differences between them. So, you know, we had a business school in Quebec uh, where the dean they appointed a trucking president as a dean, and he. Uh, you know, the good trucking professors left and the bad trucking professors stayed. We mix them up. Uh, professor at Harvard, very well-known professor at Harvard Business School, referred to hospitals as focused factories. Would you like to have a heart transplant in a focused factory? So we, we get them all mixed up every which way. And, uh, we, you know, if you want to find out about yourself, you've got a choice of 50 books in any bookstore. If you want to find out about the economy, uh, read any newspaper, blog, whatever. But in between the sort of micro and the macro are organizations, and we live in them and function in them all the time, and yet our understanding of them is very primitive. Absolutely, it's true. And, you know, something I think about a lot, and frankly we talk about a lot on this program, is about organization charts. Organization charts are very popular. When you're talking about a business plan, when you're talking about nonprofits, everybody wants to know that organization chart very popular with everybody, it seems, except for you, Henry. Can you explain a little bit about your philosophy on the topic? Well, everybody except me and everybody who's subject to these things, you know. It's as if all that matters in an organization is who your boss is and, 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 and who, what department you're in. You know, where you sit in the organization physically can be much more important than who your boss is. If you're sitting on the top floor of an 80-story building, how do you get on the ground? 
to find out what's happening in your business. You know, entrepreneurs are different in a way. They Entrepreneurs connect, you know, typically. Otherwise, they're not very successful. Uh, but in big business, people... People just just uh, disconnect in, in, in all kinds of ways. And the chart is a big part of the problem because you walk into an organization and say, give me a picture of this place, a big organization, and they'll give you the chart. And what does it really tell you? In most charts, unless the name of the company is there, you can't even tell what the company does for a living. You know, a lot of entrepreneurs are too smart to have charts. Absolutely. Again, I'm chatting with the author of Understanding Organizations, finally, Structuring in Sevens, that's Henry Mintzberg. Um, and Henry, I mean, it's, it's a fantastic read. It's not as much of a book as it is a guide. You use a lot of metaphors in, uh, in this great read. You talk about sports as an example. Um, there's a lot of other uh, areas uh, which are discussed. Um, but I, I guess I want to cut to the chase, Henry. I mean, why are so many organizations in such a mess these days? Well, I think a lot of them are following a model I call the machine organization or, or the program machine. Uh, um, they're set up as bureaucracies, even though they have to be something different. A hospital can't be a machine. It can't be a factory. It has to be a, what I call a professional organization. Um, and you get people coming in who don't appreciate the differences and think it's all about the boss and all about leadership. You know, I'm Canadian and in the States, here too, but more in the States, there's such a fetish about leadership, you know? I'm a fan of what I call community-ship. I think well-functioning organizations create a sense of community, and leadership is there to enhance and build and support that that community-ship. So, so when the chief executive is paid 500 times as much as the workers, how can you expect? Uh, anything but the organization to be a mess, you know? Absolutely. I couldn't agree more with you, Henry. Um, you talk, uh, uh, you know, on, on really this, uh, some of your observations from your time. Um, and that's, I know you've written or uh, been the co-author of 21 books. So I want to take a step back for a moment, Henry, and just talk about sort of the lens that you wrote this book um, with. Uh, what are some of the things that inspired you to write book 21 and, uh, and, and what are some of those, uh, where, where have some of those analogies come from? Well, well, if, uh, it's, act, it's actually book number two revised. I wrote the first version, give you an idea of how old I am, but I wrote the first version in 1979. And then I wrote a shorter version in 1983, and that's been my most successful book, but not successful enough because the general population doesn't, understand organizations. So I thought I'd take another kick at the can and, and, and try and offer something where people can understand what organizations are, uh, are uh, all about. Um, so so uh, uh, that's, that's why I did it. And I think it's important. Uh, you know, we live in, as you said at the beginning, we live in organizations, we're entertained by organizations, we're harassed by organizations, uh, and we need to understand them. <laughs> Harassed by organizations, indeed. So, well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, you talk a lot about organizations. Again, you, you talk a lot about metaphors with organizations. So I wanted to use another, uh, I guess, ask another question about what organizations are like. I mean, is designing an organization uh, more of a science, art, or a craft? Um, it's not much science, is a bit of art or some art. Um, it's largely craft. And craft means 
trying things until you get it right. That's what craft essentially means. But how do we design organizations? I'm talking big ones now. Uh, we have people who are in uh, sort of the top floor, what, what are called technocrats or analysts or whatever you want to call them, and they decide how you're going to interact with other people. You know, sometimes we build a park and we pave the way we think people should walk. And in Prague, there's a park where people are trying to get from a main road in, over a bridge, and they paved the park in an S-shaped thing. And so the people of Prague said, the hell with this, and they walked forward. In other words, the people repaved the park. And that's the way we have to design structures. We have to give people a chance to work out how they're going to work together, and then we can formalize the structure, but we're too quick to race into formalizing structures without checking with the very people who have to uh, do it. You know, where people sit is more important than who they report to, because where they sit is who they meet at the coffee machine and who they bump into, and that's where they communicate. So we need to give more attention to that kind of thing. Henry, we have just over a minute remaining, and one of the things that we like to do here on Get Down to Business is make this really, really practical. You, uh, you, as mentioned, provide a lot of analogies. You certainly take your decades of experience and really, uh, I mean this in the most positive of ways, dumb it down um, for any uh, reader uh, that wants to understand. Um, but I, I want to know what you would recommend for our listeners that they put in practice, maybe in their small organizations, small businesses, um, but what can they do to make their organizations better in the week ahead? Well, it sort of comes back to the book in a way, because you've got to understand your own form of organization. And, and, and the bulk of the book is about four very different ways to organize. And one I call personal or the personal enterprise, which are entrepreneurial companies, for example. One I call program machines, which are McDonald's. Everything is programmed. Everything's McDonald's has us programmed. We clear our tables. Can you imagine? Can you imagine going into a gourmet restaurant and clearing a table? Uh, but a gourmet restaurant is a professional organization. It's an assembly of people in hospitals, in universities, in accounting firms, law offices, who uh, who uh, uh, work very rather independently um, and very strongly as in the, as individuals. And the fourth one is the project organization, where people the opposite, where people team up. Uh, they're still highly skilled, but they team up and and work together. Uh, if we mix those up, if you try and run a a project organization like a machine organization, mm -hmm. or try and run a machine organization like a project organization, or more commonly, try and run a machine organization, a Henry, personal organization. Let's, like let's, let's leave it there because I don't want to give away all the secrets in the book. I do want to make sure our listeners can get uh -huh. in touch with you and pick up a copy. Where can they do that? Yeah, well, the book is obviously available on Amazon or from Barrett Kohler, the publisher. Um, and uh, and they can reach me. They can look at. They can see my website with everything relevant. Mintzberg, m i n t z b e r g dot org, and and uh, and uh, there's a blog called Mintzberg dot org slash blog that I do regularly, so they can get more Fantastic. of that on the more on the blog. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Henry Mintzberg. We'll be right back and get down to business. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business, jobs, and entrepreneurship. The American dream is alive and well for Rocco Guerrero. Uh, I am thrilled to be joined by New York-based entrepreneur, 
Um, and uh, he's got quite a uh, fascinating story. Uh, and uh, he, is, uh, he is really the, the epitome and the embodiment of the American dream. We're going to talk all about his practice. We're going to talk about uh, his story. Let's start with that. Uh, it all starts in the very beginning. Rocco Carrera, welcome to the program. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Let's talk about your background first and where that came from, which you then brought uh, to as CEO of Rocco Carrera Wealth Partners. Sure. Uh, yeah, basically a um, little history about myself. I grew up in a uh, mid-sized town uh, on Long Island, New York. Uh, town was called Patchogue, New York. I'm a son of um, two Italian immigrants that immigrated here in 1962. My dad was a tailor. That was kind of my first experience in the world of business was seeing how this tailor shop operated. Um, you know, we, we were, you know, my parents worked hard uh, to try to send me to college. Wasn't the greatest uh, high school student nor uh, college student initially. And uh, it took me a while to figure it all out, but eventually I did. And, uh, and I found my, my true calling, which was, uh, was being an entrepreneur and helping people. And, uh, the, and I found the perfect business, which allowed me to do that, which is the world of wealth management. Absolutely. And you are certainly, uh, you are certainly uh, you know, uh, sharing that entrepreneurial bug and helping people to, uh, to be successful. I think, um, from what I understand, that first entrepreneurial bug, seven years old as an iced tea stand with your cousins. Is that right? Yeah. I, you know what? I, 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 as a kid, it was, I think I was seven years old at the time. And I, we had, we, uh, we, my parents had gotten a, a new refrigerator and it was a court, a large cardboard box sitting outside my house. And we, my cousin and I turned it into a lemonade stand. And I sold like my cousin, my cousin and I would be in this box. And for, you know, whatever reason I sold like 20 times more lemonade, uh, iced tea than my cousin. And I couldn't understand why I would be selling so much more than him. And, you know, fast forward here, uh, we're, we're 50 years old today and he's an accountant and I, I'm, I'm the one and I'm the entrepreneur. So it kind of, you know, I, I think it, I think it really was really more about nature than nurture, uh, that the, the pathway that, uh, that life took us. So kind of funny. Yeah. And, and I know you've, you've learned a lot of lessons along the way. In fact, not all of our listeners, uh, or not all of our guests rather have written a book. Um, your first book was called uh, three chords approach to life and wealth management for business owners. And I know you recently released an updated version of the book. So Rocco, what is covered inside this fantastic read? So the, um, the concept of the three chords, uh, which I came up with, uh, about seven or eight years ago, was around working with really hard-charging, successful business owners. And I saw that they had three common elements to their life. They had them, they obviously they had their business, they had their family, and they had themselves as an individual. And the people that were really successful, truly successful, were the ones that were successful in all three areas. The ones that did not feel successful and had lots of trouble were the ones that were either successful in one of the three areas or two, but they, they might not have been successful in all three. And I'll give you an example. Somebody who might be real successful with money, but horrible with personal relationships with their spouse, significant other, and their kids. Um, or another person really successful with business and, and terrific around the family, but you know, drank, drank excessively, smoked tons, and was like a speeding train wreck uh, you know, uh, health-wise. 
And then, then we started working with business owners that really paid attention to their health, paid attention to the family, and they were successful in business. And those are the ones that achieve true wealth and true success. And that's what the book is about. The book is about it's a it's a book on financial planning, but it also has the three chords approach woven into it, which is about business, family, and self. So I have a lot of questions, Rocco. Um, you know, you talked earlier about your family. I know again, as uh, you know, large Italian American family. Um, your dad arrived in the United States from Italy in his twenties and established a uh, small tailor shop um, where uh, you were raised along with 21 first cousins who lived within blocks of each other. How did those things sort of lead to your passion and expertise in this area of wealth management? What are some of those lessons that you've taken that you now share with your, uh, with your clients? Well, you know, the, the first thing um, is in the world of wealth management, the primary thing is that you got to help people. And so, you know, this, this community that I grew up in with my family we basically helped each other. That's how we kind of got through things. So nobody really ever hired anybody. Everybody kind of helped each other get through things. We, everybody had their particular skill set. So growing up in this large Italian-American family of just, you know, family was very important. Helping others was important. That's where I got my, my preliminary uh, lessons on it. And then most of the family members were business owners, right, and, and you know, who owned a luncheonette who owned an ironwork shop, who was a carpenter, who was a tailor. I was surrounded by business owners, specifically uh, trade-related business owners. So I saw how all these different businesses operated. So I naturally gravitated towards uh, business and helping people. And that that's that's my story right there. Absolutely. And, um, you know, it's great. I love to hear when people are not just doing it because they, they you know, read a book on the topic, but this is something that's uh, really personal for you. Uh, which is awesome. So, uh, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, as you've been growing up, you're, now, you're, now you're helping people sort of find that solution. So I want to understand um, your niche, if you will, of your firm. Uh, I know you work a lot, of, a lot of times with folks that, that look and talk like you, and I mean that in the most posit- positive of ways. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, yeah, we don't, we don't screen for nationalities, but for whatever reason, we work with a lot of Italian-American uh, business owners that have similar backgrounds to myself, uh, people that operate trade-related businesses. I was around trade-related businesses my whole life. Again, we don't screen for that, but for whatever reason, uh, Italian-American trade-related business owners like to work with uh, like to work with us. Um, that's you know that's the way it kind of worked out. Rocco, uh, again, I'm chatting with Rocco Carrero. Uh, we've been chatting about his story and his passion for helping his clients which, uh, as, as, all kidding aside, he works with everybody and does an amazing, amazing job. Uh, again, uh, he recently released uh, his, his book, uh, and uh, that's awesome that you are, uh, have surely become that subject matter expert. So we've got about two minutes remaining in our program. I want to make sure our listeners know uh, sort of some homework assignments, some things that they could actually put into action in the week and months ahead um, as we uh, get closer, believe it or not, to the end of 2023. So if our listeners remember, nothing else from this conversation. What are some of those principles that you educate your clients on and maybe that you've written in your book? Yeah, this is, um, I'm going to try to break it down. So to make basically two or three feet, two or three key things that everybody should be thinking about. Number one is if you haven't done a financial plan, do one, right? And so basically you can do it yourself uh, to get yourself started. You got to look at what, what are your assets? What are your liabilities? What are, what's your income? What's your expenses? And you kind of start off with that. Number two is you got to have some goals, right? You got to know what you want for yourself. 
And so whether it's retirement, you want to buy a second home, you want to buy a first home, those are goals. You got to know what you need to do in order to get there. And they could be done through just coming up with some calculations. So if you have some discretionary income, you got to put those dollars away. Uh, and the third and the third thing is, is that you got to make sure that you pay yourself first. Too many people, specifically business owners, they pay everybody else but themselves, right? So whatever's left over, that's what they take. You got to change the mindset. You're working really hard. If a person collects, let's just say, use a $10, for example, you got to be thinking that you got to keep that first dollar for yourself. The other $9 could go, go to pay everybody else and, and everything. And that's the third tip. You got to make sure you pay yourself first, because if you don't pay yourself first, you'll, you really won't end up by paying yourself. And what I mean by that is sometimes people confuse. So will I cover my expenses? I'm talking about the money you actually keep, the dollars that you keep for investments for yourself, not, not your living expenses, but what you really keep after paying everything. And those are the three areas right there. Yeah. Yeah, Rocco, I've been taking diligent notes in this conversation, and I know our listeners will as well, but they definitely will want to get in touch with you and pick up a copy of your book. Um, so I want to leave our listeners in our last 30 seconds remaining uh, with, uh, with those opportunities. How can we get in touch with you? Yeah, they can go to my website, which is RoccoACarrero.com. That's R-O-C-C-O-A-C-A-R-R-I-E-R-O.com. Fantastic. Rocco Carrero. We'll link in our show notes as well to make it super duper easy um, because that's uh, what you do for your clients. So we need to do it for our listeners as well. Appreciate your expertise. Appreciate you coming on the show. We'll be sure to uh, share it and please do the same. And uh, can't wait to have you back on real soon. Thanks for sharing your real passion and expertise. Got a lot more in store in the second half of the program. So don't touch that dial Chicago or wherever you may be listening. We'll be right back on Get Done's Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business, jobs, and entrepreneurship. I'm thrilled to be joined by Eunicia Parrott, who is an highly accomplished wealth strategist and seasoned business owner with over 15 years of experience in the financial services industry. And her core mission is to equip multi six and seven figure individuals with the tools to optimize their wealth creating efforts beyond conventional 401ks, IRAs, and savings accounts. Uh, Eunicia, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for joining us. It's such a pleasure to be here, Shalom. Absolutely. So I love to talk to people uh, that are so passionate, like yourself, I already hear it in your voice, about why you have that passion and where you caught that bug early on in your career. Oh my gosh, that's a great question. I caught that bug because my husband and I uh, witnessed what was happening within the financial services, first and foremost, on our own skin. And we realized that because we didn't have the types of resources that now we offer, uh, my firm offers to clients, um, we were leaving a lot of money on the table, a lot of money to, to, to chance, frankly. And when we looked at what that uh, was projecting to do to our financial future, uh, it was, it, we were going to be fine, but we certainly won't weren't going to be in an uber ideal situation. So it was it was based on first mm -hmm. and foremost, our personal needs. Absolutely. And, and you, said, uh, you know, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll ask you a question and we'll lead into uh, into the conversation a little bit. You know, there's a famous quote out there that the, the definition of insanity is what? Doing the same thing and expecting different results. I know that's something that you talk to your clients about quite a bit. So let's talk about that and and how 
you can avoid meeting that definition of insanity. Absolutely. Well, first and foremost, I, I like to tell individuals that where we stand is we help our clients address that question, uh, the big question of what are we missing? And generally that question of what are we missing comes up when we're talking about taxes, when we're talking about investments, when we're talking about what is it that we're doing to actually build wealth. And oftentimes people have, they, they have it in their, in their stomach, they have it in their gut, they know that there's something that they're missing, but they keep doing the same thing over and over again. And I will have to tell you, Shalom, I've been in so many situations situations where the clients will ask their financial team, what more can I be doing? And the response on the other end is we're already optimizing. We're already doing everything that you should be doing. All you have to do is just hold tight. The market does what it'll do. It'll go up and down. Ultimately, you'll be fine. But people end up not being able to sleep at night. And so what we want to make sure is that people can sleep at night. They not only can sleep and rest, but they rest in the knowledge that they understand what in the world is happening with their money, why, and how can they truly optimize when everybody else is saying, no, you can't. Absolutely. Absolutely uh, agreed and appreciate your sort of the approach. And I know that this is, this is not just work for you. This is quite personal. Um, and one of the things that you talk a lot about, and I know you are a uh, very accomplished a public speaker, um, which enables you to deliver financial empowerment and wisdom at conferences and events, is that avoiding a cookie cutter plan, because nothing should be cookie cutter. What's true for me you know, is not true for you and certainly not true for the next uh, person that might be tuning into this program. Is that right? That is so true, Shalom. So, so very true. So let's talk about that and, and how a cookie cutter plan is destroying um, your retirement. Well, the cookie cutter plan generally, a lot of individuals, if for those that are listening, have have worked with financial advisors or planners or financial something, anything, you know, everybody will tell you, and we have an approach, and we we you come in and we talk about it, and then we talk, we, we you know, we'll propose what the solution is or what you can do, and we're listening to you, and but what ends up happening if if you were to look at almost almost unanimously all of those cases, when you pull back the curtain, they all look the same. We meet with the client or they meet with the client. And ultimately, there's a proposal that's put in front of the client. And that proposal, generally, the way that I look at it and the way clients feel it is it's a sales pitch. My perspective is that clients shouldn't necessarily should not go through a sales pitch. First and foremost, they need to understand what in the world their options are before there's ever something proposed to them as to, hey, this could potentially be a good solution. Unfortunately, though, individuals don't know that they're experiencing that. And so what I tell um, folks that we talk to is whenever you're thinking about the cookie cutter approach, if you're ever walking into a situation where you feel like something's just been presented to you, you don't understand it, but you're supposed to be somehow signing on the dotted line, chances are there's a problem and it will most likely fit under that cookie cutter approach. Absolutely. I'm chatting with Yanisa Parrott um, and we're talking about, again, uh, strategic customized uh, uh, solutions uh, for planning for retirement and uh, making sure that you are essentially ensuring your financial future and that of your uh, of your families and so on. So Yanisa, we are a action-based, action-driven show. Got less than a minute remaining over here. What is the one thing that you want our listeners to remember to put into action? action. Stop procrastinating. That would be the biggest thing. To your point from earlier, too many individuals um, take the time to think about, we'll do this next month. We'll do the next next year. We'll do it after the job changes. We'll do it after the business does better. Stop thinking that way and start taking action today. Because if you don't, every single day, every single month that goes by, it's significantly costing you in more taxes, in more growth, and a the better the chance and the opportunity to actually see financial empowerment for yourself, for your family, for your legacy. 
Absolutely. And how can we get in touch with you if we want to learn more and start setting those plans for our families? The best way is to reach out to us via, you can check us out on social media. You can find us under Unicia Perret, E-U-N-I-C-I-A Perret, or check us out on our website at excelstra.com. That's excelstra.com. Fantastic. Unicia Perret, thank you so much for joining us. Really, really excited and, and passionate about our topic and conversation. I look forward to bringing you back on. And of course, we'll link in our show notes as well. Um, we've got a lot more for you in store here on the show about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. So don't touch that dial. Be sure to check out our sponsors, Tom Urbali, healthplanchicago.com. Um, or of course, make sure you get on my website, sykline.com. Quick break. We'll be right back. Get down to business. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. Uh, you know, leadership and conflict resolution is something that comes up very, very regularly on this program. And that's why I am thrilled to be joined by the expert on those topics, Penny Tremlay. Um, and Penny, I know, has, uh, has literally written the book on this topic, Sandbox Strategies for the New Workplace, Conflict Resolution from the Inside Out, because hybrid workplaces, yes, it calls for new approaches to dealing with conflict. So uh, I'm thrilled to have Penny on the program. Welcome to this show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I had a listen to some of your other podcasts, and I'm really super excited to be a guest on your show. Absolutely. Super excited to have you. So Penny, I always love to get to know the person behind the microphone. As yeah. mentioned, you are the, uh, the SME, the subject matter expert on this topic. You're an international speaker, trainer, and mediator. Um, but I'm curious, uh, some of those experiences that you've had that have led to actually writing the book. Tell us a little bit about it. Well, you know, in in work uh, or, or in any relationships where, where you're working with people, there's the opportunity to get entangled. And I am so uh, fanatical about relationships. You know, they're very fascinating to me. And I know that you know this because one of your previous guests was talking about networking. And I know you're the king of networking. And so much uh, of business happens because we have good relationships and companies are struggling with retaining employees and companies are struggling with employee engagement. And, you know, as you said in the intro, you know, the, the work from home, the remote factor is becoming an added layer of complexity because distance erodes trust. So we really have to um, work on our relationship building skills. And so that's really nice and easy when things are nice and easy. But what do you do when you're in a storm? Absolutely. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And I know that you uh, have uh, a beautiful family. Um, and, uh, and I know you, uh, you, you spread your time uh, certainly sharing your expertise with uh, businesses, with organizations all over. Um, and you have, uh, I believe it's eight different, uh, different themes. Uh, you call it the play nice strategies. Right. So let's talk a little bit about some of the things that you see sort of as trends, if you will, as it comes uh, in workplace relationships. And maybe we'll be able to give the Cliff Notes version of those play nice strategies. But Penny, let's talk about some of the places that you work with and the things that you see. Okay, so the most important theme that I see is that most of conflict resolution is an inside job, meaning that we get entangled with other people because of old stories that we are packing around that aren't even related to today. Uh, for example, we, we didn't always grow up in a family that um, managed through conflict well. 
And so most people avoid conflict. Um, And I think when people get entangled with others, one of the first thing that they should really look at is, you know, what pieces of this are mine? You know, how am I showing up to this? Um, and, And so the personal approach to leadership is always my first approach. The play nice uh, strategies are equally divided between PLAY are all personal leadership strategies, and then the NICE are about nurturing relationships with other people. Because I often say, can't build a castle on quicksand. So we need to be solid. We need to excavate our own sandbox, you know, do our own digging, get rid of those cat turds that have been buried long ago or at our last job or with our ex-partner or our, you know, early familyhood or childhood or school situation and and then really have some level ground for positioning ourselves for a really good play. Penny, um, you know, before we uh, before we go to break and and, and then we, we're going to actually talk about some of those play nice strategies you know, I want to talk about that hybrid environment. Um, you know, it's, we, we often use that term, the new normal and all that good stuff. But Penny, did you wake up uh, in the middle of COVID and, and say, gosh, folks are working remotely. I've got to I've got to pull these pieces together. Is this something that you were sort of watching some trends prior to that? Yes, I was terrified because my brand, you know, or my, my entire life's work, I was wondering if there was even ever going to be any more conflict. And if there wasn't, that would be fine. I could retire. But I, I did a research project about the effects of COVID-19 on workplace conflict and found that there is more conflict in the workplace, even though people weren't going into work. And a lot of it was because of, of three things. Number one, people were at home and they were spinning in their own thoughts. For example, where am I in regards to the rest of the pack? Are people ahead of me? Why am I not finding out information that other people are finding out? And they just didn't have that um, communication that goes without without talking. You know, when you go into the office, you you absorb a lot of information without even saying anything. Who's here? Who's not here? On the what's on the bulletin board, whatever. But when you're at home and you're isolated. You have the same situation that a lot of satellite offices have had for years. They just don't feel a part of the mothership. And that creates insecurities. Another reason for um, increased conflict is that managers didn't really understand how challenged employees are working from home. So in my research, I realized that managers didn't think that there was conflict, but there was a lot of conflict brewing under the surface with employees because when we split out that data, that message was loud and clear. No, there certainly have been a lot of things uh, sort of bubbling under the surface, um, and I'm glad that you've uncovered it. And I know you don't just sit in the shadows. You actually get uh, your feet wet, if you will, and have those conversations. When we come back after the break, we're going to talk about those clean, nice strategies. But I encourage all of our listeners to get in touch with our good friends, sponsor of the program, Tom Mirabali, at healthplanchicago.com. Or, of course, give them a call, 630-863-3477, 630-863-3477. Again, a quick break on the program. We'll be right back.
And we're back on Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. We are talking about managing workplace conflict in a post-pandemic world. And we're chatting with the one and only Penny Tremblay, who has mentioned previously is an international speaker, trainer, and mediator. She's the founder of the Tremblay Leadership Center and the Sandbox System. Um, Penny, I know you teach people how to play nice in the sandbox. And really, that's what I wanted to dive into. You talk about some play nice strategies. We only have a couple of minutes. Penny, tell us what we need to know to make sure that we close out 2023 for success. Okay. Well, uh, not only do I teach play nice strategies, but... I do a workplace mediation and uh, complete workplace restoration. So these strategies come from a, d- a decade of my work actually getting in with organizations and helping them resolve conflict. And there's some themes. And as we mentioned, uh, you know, in the first before break, that the, the, um, the first part, the play nice acronym is about positioning yourself for good play and lightening your load, meaning like really excavating and digging out the things that cause conflict with you because those are likely yours. And, um, and then actively listening. Wow. You know, if there's one tip that, that people ask me, like how to be a better relationship builder. It's, you know, use your ears twice as much as you use your mouth because we people really crave to be heard and understood. And then, you know, the why is about yield to your why. Why are you even doing what you're doing? Why does it matter? You know, what gets you out of bed in the morning and fuels your passion tank? The nice strategies are are about nurturing relationships with other people. And that's just what the N stands for. The I is very popular today. It's about inclusion and making sure that everybody's included, especially in conflict. If we talk about people, we're not including them in our conversation. Um, And so the C is to challenge conflict. And you know, most people want to avoid conflict, sweep it under the rug and just hope that it would go away, but it doesn't. And then the E is about empathy. And I think one of the biggest challenges there, you know, especially for managers is how do you juggle empathy and accountability? But um, we're all human. And no matter where you are on an org chart, you can dig in a little deeper and find a little bit more empathy for yourself and for other people. So that's all eight strategies. It's a playful, fun program and book. And um, of course, we all understand the early messaging of the sandbox. Couldn't agree more, Penny. Um, I mean, these are these are great, and these will certainly set folks up for success, regardless of what kind of organization you are in, big or small. A lot of these same dynamics uh, hold true, and that's indeed what all of our listeners are looking for. Penny, you know, I'm I'm excited, and I know our listeners are writing notes furiously and nodding their heads vigorously. How can they get in touch with you if they want to pick up a copy of your read and, more importantly, schedule a conversation with you? PennyTremblay.com, that's P-E-N-N-Y-T-R-E-M-B-L-A-Y.com, PennyTremblay.com. There's a, um, there's a menu on my website that says books. There's a training menu, and uh, people can go and take a look at who I am and what I do. And even watch a video right there on the main page about a really important conflict that I uh, resolved in my own life personally and, and so, you know, one of the things that I just want to share is that conflict is very costly. And, and that's just not to the corporation. That, that's to us as people and ourselves and our health. And it's avoidable. You know, we can avoid that high cost. I mean, conflict is not avoidable, but the high cost is. 
Certainly, certainly. Well, Penny, really appreciate you sharing your expertise with our listeners. I can't wait to bring you back on real soon. We'll link in the show notes to uh, your book, to the read, um, to your website. And uh, so grateful for you joining us. That's a wrap for us here on Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. As always, you get on my website, sykline.com, or of course, go on your favorite podcast app. Doesn't matter whether it's Spotify, Google, Apple, just search for Get Down to Business and make sure you leave a rating, review, comment, share. It makes it even easier for others to find the show. Uh, and uh, we've had uh, hundreds of guests on over the past 10 years. Uh, so do, a, do your colleagues a favor by sharing it. So again, a wrap for us this week. We'll be back, back next Sunday at, on AM560, The Answer in Chicago and your favorite podcast app around the world. To success, let's get down to business.